0: Two thousand years, the church has always loved the cross. We're supposed to remember the cross. We'll do that at the end of our service today. And the next generation, we're teaching them to love Jesus because of the cross. Those who are part of that next generation, four, six-year-olds, you can go to your class the time. We go to Second Corinthians chapter. Supposed to be a very sunny day. There are certain things that like the sun and certain things that do not. On our back porch we have two red pillows. Well, they used to be red, and now they're an orangey color because they don't really like the sun. They're changing the color of those things, fading them, and my van, a uh, gray van, has... Um, was from Florida, its first five years of its life. And some of the trim around the windows of that van is cracked because it was in the Florida sun for probably the first five years of its life. There are other things that really like the sun. Like I'm looking to plant, I think my wife planted sunflowers. And if you ever plant anything, you have to look and see if it's full sun, part sun, part shade, how much sun... So I'm looking, and my wife got sunflower seeds. She said, where do I plant these? They need 8 to 12 hours of sun. I said, all right, so morning sun and afternoon sun, I got no place in my yard. I got big trees. (laughs) and So I'm not cutting down trees for some sunflower seeds. (laughs) So you're going to find a spot that might get 7 hours of sun, and they'll just have to try to survive. But sunflowers like the sun. And if you go buy plants uh, today or sometime this week to put in the ground, you need to look and check the tag and see, does it, is it shade or sun? And there are certain plants that just love the sun, and others uh, don't need too much sun to survive. If you were to take uh, two substances like clay or butter, the sun does two different things to those things. One, it hardens. The other, butter, it softens. And we're going to talk today, as we have seen in 2 Corinthians 3, that in faced with the glory of God, some people's hearts and minds are hardened, but not so for Christians. Their heart is soft. Think back in the book of Exodus. It was about the story of the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. What was Pharaoh's heart like as he saw the glory of God? When Moses first confronted Pharaoh and said, let my people go, Pharaoh says to him in Exodus 5, I don't know you, I don't know the Lord, and I am not going to let your people go from serving I have all this free labor and he would be insane economically to let them go. So and as God showed Mo, or God showed Moses and all the Egyptians his glory by all of the plagues the power of God was on full display. What happened to Pharaoh's heart? Was he softened or was he hardened? He was hardened. And he hardened his own heart time and time and time again until eventually God says, if that's how you're going to respond to my glory, I'm going to harden your heart for you. And he does. To the point that even with darkness that could be felt, plague number nine, he would not obey God and let God's people go. So God took the life of the firstborn. And even after he saw the glory of God that way, he still gathers his army and goes and chases them. And as the Red Sea is parted and he is face to face with the glory of God and watching all these people cross on dry land, his heart is hardened, it says in Exodus 14, so that he tells his army, instead of going around, to capture, around the Red Sea to capture the Israelites, their heart is hardened so that they... Follow them into the Red Sea, knowing full well that God has been fighting against us and we've been fighting against Him the last so many months, maybe a year. In Second in Corinthians chapter three, we'll get to that. We are changed by the glory of the Lord. As we confront our world with the glory of the Lord and the glory of his word and the glory of marriage and the glory of purity and the glory of holiness, the world having a heart of flesh, a heart of clay, and faced with the glory of God, their hearts are hardened. But when we turn to the Lord, God removes the veil. He changes our heart from a heart of flesh or a heart of stone and hard to a heart of flesh, something that is soft, something that is moldable. And if you've ever cooked, you pro- or baked. I guarantee you probably use something like butter or a butter substitute. And if you tried to cook with clay, you'd be frustrated, because you're going to be getting harder. But to use butter in cooking, it has to be softened. Very useful very good tasting as well Exodus 34 tells us what Moses saw instead of what it should be who Moses saw who did Moses see what did he see and what should we be seeing in the new testament that's better than what Moses saw we have already seen the comparison of Exodus 3 to 17 or uh, of 2 Corinthians 3 three to 17, and today we're going to start into, we're only going to get halfway through uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, but we're going to use as our outline the character of God, because when you see Jesus in the New Testament, what did Jesus tell his disciples? Philip said, show us the Father, it will be enough for us. This is the night he is arrested, and Jesus says to Philip, if you see me, you see the father no way if you and i saw jesus we would see a perfect representation of exodus 34 6 and 7. so let's look at it the lord passed by before moses in verse 6 and the lord proclaimed instead of it just being very bright we have recorded for us exactly what the glory of God looks like. And here it is. The Lord, the Lord, twice, he says, Jehovah, or I am. The same title that was given to God by himself when he saw when Moses was confronted at the burning bush. Look at how Moses is different than Pharaoh back in the beginning of Exodus. When confronted with the glory of God, what does Moses do? He does exactly what God tells him to do. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Oh, yes, God. And he takes his shoes off. Why is he obeying immediately? Because his heart is softened by the glory of God. And then a couple chapters later, when confronted with the glory of God, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Why is it that some people, as we're ministering, And telling them about the glory of God. Some people's heart is hardened and others is softened because they have a veil. They can't see the glory. Only through Christ is that veil taken away. And when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So we all, with unveiled face, can see the glory of God. So let's look here. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and probably thousands of generations and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So today, we are going to look Bold ministry, because his glory changes us. So remember this, and we'll have up on the screen pretty much a very simple outline of this, um, this description of who God is. And when Christ comes to earth, we're going to see, at times, it doesn't look like Jesus is God. At the cross, it doesn't seem like Jehovah, the great, all sufficient, self sufficient God, would allow his creation to treat him this way. But at the cross, we see a perfect representation of the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we'll get to that part of the description what moses alone saw let's see who can see that in the new testament let's go now to 2 corinthians 3 and we'll stay there 2nd corinthians chapter 3 if moses face is glowing and those who are faithful to god in the old testament are asking how can my face glow like that well you got to see god you got to see him in all his glory and we're going to say, so how do I see him in all of his glory? Well, according to the 2 Corinthians 3, the veil has to be removed because God's glory is just going to harden your heart and harden your mind. And until God takes away the veil, until you turn to the Lord, you can't see his glory. Some of you maybe have come to church for years and you have not seen the glory of God. We sing about the glory of God and you're like, eh... These are just words on a screen. Oh, I like the sound of these instruments. That adds some dimension to the service. But I really don't see his glory. I don't get what's the big deal of church every week. Multiple services? Are you serious? Sunday school and church and a prayer time before Sunday school and then Wednesday night too? You guys are fanatics. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we fanatics? Because the more the Son of God shines on us, the softer our hearts become. And the more soft our hearts become, the more useful in ministry. See, we are to be exposed to the glory of God, we are to expose ourselves to the glory of God intentionally. How do we see his glory? Well, Paul, as he went to Corinth for the first time, is telling people to turn from idols to the living God, and some of them have turned. If you look through First uh, and Second Corinthians to see what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6.11 washed and cleansed and sanctified the Corinthians, who were once really wicked people. And God changed them. God changed them from within. God opened their eyes. And now Paul is giving them, showing them ministry and expecting them to join him in ministry because of hope. We saw last week, if we're part of God's glorious rescue plan, that we have a lot of hope. And this passage, verse 18, is part of that passage of, We have such a hope, we are very bold. So who got to see the glory of the Lord like Moses? Well, we saw in the beginning of our service, Isaiah got to see the glory of the Lord, but just briefly. Moses got to see the glory of the Lord just briefly, but only those two men. Wouldn't it be nice if all of God's people could see his glory? It would be nice. In fact, it's possible. Let's look at verse 18. And we all. Who can see God's glory? We all. So how about a six-year-old who turns from their sin to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin? Can that six-year-old see the glory of the Lord? Not a leader like Moses, not a prophet like Isaiah. Oh, yes. That six-year-old can see the glory of the Lord. Seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old, 85-year-old, 95-year-old, yeah, all ages, every Christian. But I'm not a prophet. I don't get visions from God. No, you don't have to get, you don't see God through visions. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that glory is transforming us. We are being transformed. It's a process into the same image. What image? from one degree of glory to another, the image of the Lord. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit takes what we are seeing in the glory of God and is changing us. Notice the I-N-G words here, beholding the glory. That's an ongoing process. If you gave Moses an opportunity to go back up on the mountain and spend more time looking at the glory of God, he would have taken it every day, all day. He didn't eat or drink for 40 days. God sustained him. But he wasn't missing food. He wasn't missing anything because he was seeing the glory of the Lord. And when you and I get to see the glory of the Lord, that is living. That's why God made us. And you and I will run like better than any engine on high octane fuel that we looked at last week. We'll run so, so well if we'll make it a habit to build into our schedules, build our schedules around beholding the glory of the Lord. I'll help you today. I'll try to equip you with how I studied, uh, and you could, you could do the same study yourself. What I did is to take the uh, seven, eight descriptions of the glory of the Lord that Moses saw, and we're going to take one at a time, and we're going to look at how the New Testament, how Christ, specifically uh, at the cross, around the cross, uh, displays this aspect of the character of God. And when we look at the character of God, which is full, that's what Scripture is about. If you were to tell me, ask me, what is the theme of the Bible, I would tell you the glory of God. So when you and I open the Bible, what are we looking for? We're looking for the glory of God. You'll see it from Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. To the very end, Revelation twenty two twenty one, 21, the grace and peace of God be with you always. Oh. And everything in between, you and I will see as we need to expose our hearts and our minds every single day throughout the day to the glory of God. This is how we are changed. There's no substitutes. You, you can't rely on me just to feed you every single Sunday and expect to see the glory of the Lord from what I've seen. I got to go to the Grand Canyon a couple weeks ago, and pictures do not do it justice. We printed pictures, and like, oh, eh. Nah. Nothing like standing on the rim, as close to the rim as possible, standing near the rim... And seeing the Grand Canyon and you are, you're like, this doesn't even look real. This is just so vast, so big. It's glorious, but it's not nearly as glorious as this. This is the best glory. This is how you and I will be changed. So I took the... Description that Moses saw. And if Moses' face is glowing by seeing the glory of the Lord, and we have a full Bible that's full of the glory of the Lord, we need to expose our hearts and our minds so that we probably won't glow physically, but our heart can be soft every single day. Our minds need to be soft every single day as we behold the glory of the Lord. We're beholding it it's ongoing. It's not like, well, I've done that and I'm moving on. Read my Bible. I'm glad I got that over with. Now I can go on with the rest of my day. No, 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 no. We behold the glory of the Lord. And as we're beholding it, what's happening? We are being transformed. It's not instant. It's not microwave one minute. beep. All right, done transformed. No, like popcorn is probably two minutes, in the microwave. No, we're not like popcorn. We're better than popcorn. We are to behold the glory of the Lord. And as we behold his glory ongoing, we are being transformed. It's a process. Into the same image, the image of our Lord from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, to another degree of glory, to another degree of glory. And you think just when you can't change anymore, God shows you more of his glory in his word. You're like, oh, wow. And you're changed again and again and again. If you have been saved for years, and this is how you look at your Bible. This is how you see God. You have being, are being transformed and you realize, I've got a long way to go. Oh, yeah. And you bring other people along with you and say, hey, let's look at God together. And as we look at God together, that's what bold ministry is. That's what Paul's doing for these Corinthians. He's doing for us today from 2,000 years ago. He's telling us how to be changed. And as we minister to people, you know what we want them to see in their lives? We want them to be changed. Spouses that cannot get along, we you want know them to do? We want them to have unity in their home. People that are angry or frustrated at work, you we know want them to do to lay down their arms and stop arguing. People in rebellion against parents or dist- estranged from relatives, and I won't talk to them. You know what the glory of God does for us? It changes us, softens our hearts, helps us to be less stubborn, less Fleshly, less proud, and more like Jesus. That's what happens. That's what Paul is saying here happens as we are exposed to the glory of God. God's glory is changing us day after day after day. To, and how do we know this is happening? Because we're looking more and more and more like Him. And people can see that we're reacting like Jesus reacted. They can see that we're talking like Jesus taught, that we're thinking like Jesus thought. And this is how we're changed. So we're we'll looking at four things here today. The Lord, the Lord, 6,800 times in the Old Testament, Jehovah is mentioned. 6,800 times. Do you think God wanted us to learn his name, to know him by this name? Absolutely. So what comes to your mind when you see I am? I am is a title that can be added to, as you know, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, or Jehovah Nisi, or Jehovah, uh, all the other names of, of God in the Old Testament, and Jesus adds to them in the New Testament. I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am... Okay, so Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be Jehovah. So as Moses starts to see the glory and God's proclaiming what Moses is seeing, here's what he's seeing first. You're seeing the Lord. The Lord. I am. I am. What does I am mean, though? It means he is self-existent. You know, before the world was, God existed and he didn't create us or the world or anything of the galaxies, all the universe. He didn't create any of that because he needed something. God was lonely, so he needed us. That's bad theology. God didn't need anything. If you put us in the middle of a desert for very long, we're gonna be pretty needy. If you put us in outer space without a spacesuit, what's gonna happen to these bodies? they're actually going to come apart because we don't have atmospheric pressure on us. like, what? And you can't breathe either. Whoa, we're extremely needy. If you put these bodies in sub-zero temperatures without proper clothing, you know what's going to happen? These bodies are going to get frostbite. You put us in 130-degree temperatures for very long, we're not going to do so well. God can exist at any temperature, any atmospheric pressure, any place inside the universe, outside the universe, and he doesn't need a thing. What? It blows our mind. But we have a God that is bigger than nature. He is outside of nature. He's supernatural. He is the self-existent God. He is the I am. So what does that say to us? Now, we are not to be like the I am. We are not to go stand on the beach, as some people say, and say, I am God. Like, really? You're, you're really God. And some people try that. You're not God. You are so dependent on everything and everyone around you. We're so dependent people. From the time we start crying, from the time we need help, before we die. We are very dependent people. But God doesn't need anything. And as we think about the I am, Jesus seven specific times said I am. And there's one of those times that points to the cross when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. What's the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. Now meditate on that for a little bit. Who needs shepherding? Sheep. Oh. We're sheep? Are you serious? God, can't you give us like cheetah or lion or even elephant better? Better than sheep. No, all we like sheep have gone astray. Jesus, God in the Old Testament said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If we are sheep, and we need him as the good shepherd. It doesn't make us look very good. It makes us look like we really are really needy. As Moses is exposed to the glory of God, his face is shining because he realizes he needs God. The first thing that we need to realize as we behold the glory of God is this. We need him. We need him. Tell the world they need God and they hate you. Why? Because their heart is getting harder with the glory of God. And you tell Christians they need God and they say, oh, yes, oh, yes, we need him. We need him every hour. We need him to never leave us nor forsake us. We need to worship him. We need to behold his glory. We need him to change us. So here is something that we cannot reflect about the glory of the God. The rest we should reflect. But this part of God's glory, we cannot reflect. This part of God's glory, as Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We need a good shepherd. Whether you like it or not, whether you think you've gone astray from God or not, the fact is all of us are like sheep because all of us are sinful and we fall well short of the glory of God. So what do we need? We need a good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. No one needs to die for me, some would say. Many would say. Well, you don't realize how sinful you are. You don't realize that your good works don't outweigh your bad works and all the lies that people believe thinking that I'm on my way to heaven or all good people get to heaven. And we say, yes, but no good, there are no good people. What? I thought there were, and I was part of them. No, you're not. You're like a sheep that was gone astray, and you need a shepherd, and there is one shepherd who will shepherd your soul. He is the Lord. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And he's coming one day, and you want to be with him. You want to rely on him. So Moses seeing God's glory and Jesus comes on the scene and tells the disciples if you've seen me you've seen the father that's John 14 what are they seeing about Jesus they're seeing that he is the I am he is the self-existent God Jesus comes to earth and he doesn't need anything he doesn't need anyone He comes to seek and to save those who are lost. Why are we lost? Because we're like sheep who have gone astray. And we've gone our own way. And we need Jesus to lay down his life for us. So, what is our response? How are we to grow with this exposure that he is the I am? We grow in one way, I think, primarily. We grow in our dependence. We grow in our dependence on him. Look at all the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the vine, the true vine. All of the I am statements that Jesus says, we need him because we can't do life, we can't do ministry, we can't do the Christian life without Jesus. He is the self-existent one and we are dependent on him. Moses knew he was dependent on God. you know how we know that? Because Moses said, don't lead us up from here unless you go with us. Moses realized he could not lead the children of Israel, obstinate as they were, without help. And he said, even though we got to see the glory of the Lord, I want you to go with me. Is Jesus with us? Absolutely. He is with us as we turn to him. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So can people around us see that we are growing in our dependence on our God? Are we depending on God more and more? What does a dependent on God life look like? Let's just ask two things. Are you praying? Are you reading the word? You say that's too simple. Okay, you tell me how I can, (laughs) you can show dependence on God without reading the word and without praying you can't. If you really need God, you'll look for him every day. If you really need God, you'll talk to him every day. And actually, you'll be praying without ceasing. Why? Because we are utterly dependent on Jesus, the great I am. And as we grow in our dependence on God, we are transformed from glory to glory. Did Jesus rely on the word and prayer when he was on earth and we could observe him? Look back at the Gospels. Do you see Jesus spending large amounts of time in prayer? Absolutely. If we were going to see his childhood, we'd probably spend him, see him spending large amounts of time reading the Old Testament. Why? Because he was dependent. As a man, it's hard for us to imagine, but he is. He grew in favor with God and man. Are we growing in our dependence on God? I realize that we are not going to get through four if I've only got through one. All right, so we might get through two today. All right, second, are you growing? Can people around you see that you're growing in your dependence on God? Would this characterize your life? Here is so-and-so. They're my mom. They're my dad. They're my best friend. They're my, my coworker, and they depend on God. Because when you and I see the I am, the response is dependence. Second, God is merciful and gracious. These go together. They're synonyms. The first word means sympathy or compassion 12 times in the Old Testament. This is mentioned about God. Often they are together as they are here. And gracious and merciful and kind is the second word. You can see how they overlap. So compassion... Sympathy, gracious, merciful, kindness, 13 times about God. Hezekiah mentions this in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9. Hezekiah sends, he is the king of the southern tribe of Judah. And after the Assyrians took over all the northern tribes, he sends people out to the north as missionaries and tells them, come worship God with us. And you know what his messengers say? God is merciful, merciful. And kind, come worship Him. Now these remnant of Israelites were under the oppression of Assyria, and those were the opposite. They were barbarians, you can read in history. They were awful, awful people. And they have to serve them because they took them over. But imagine getting a knock at your door, and someone from Judah, just 50 miles away, is saying, "Hey, you guys are part of Israel. You're part of God's people. Come worship God with us at Jerusalem." Half of those tribes mocked them in Second Chronicles 30, and half of them ended up coming, and they worshiped God with them. Despite their captivity, they said, we want to go back to God who is merciful and gracious. <laughs> Nehemiah 9, after the captivity, he prays for Israel and mentions in his prayer, Nehemiah 9, that the mercy and grace of God would lead people back. Jonah is upset with God because he doesn't destroy Nineveh. And he, Jonah says in Jonah 4:2, God, I knew you were merciful and gracious, and I didn't want to come here because I knew you were going to be merciful to them. Now, think about that. Like, Jonah's got a serious issues because he's seeing the glory of God and he doesn't want to share that glory with anyone, especially his enemies. But as we're bold ministers because we're on God's team and we can see, all of us can see the glory of God. We're changed. On his way to the cross, do we see Jesus being merciful and gracious? Garden of Gethsemane, Peter whips out a sword, cuts off Malchus's ear, and Jesus says to Malchus, got what you deserved. No, what does Jesus do to his enemy? Only time Jesus heals a flesh wound, he heals him. Heals his ear. They continue with the arrest. Why does Jesus heal Malchus' ear? Because he is merciful and gracious. Not just Malchus. Jesus' death gave Barabbas an undeserved second chance at freedom. or Barabbas should have been on that third cross that day. Why? Because he was a murderer and a thief, and Jesus, the sinless son of God, takes Barabbas' place. He is merciful and gracious. If you did a study on see Christ's compassion, you would see that he is compassionate for those who are like sheep having no shepherd. They're scattered and thrown down. You would see him having compassion on widows and children, You would see him having compassion on those who are sick and weak, those who are, he has compassion and merciful and gracious on a father whose son is demon-possessed. You'd see him having compassion on those who are hungry, and he has taught them, and he tells his disciples because of his mercy and grace, hey, why don't you feed them? Gracious compassion sees people and what their need is and meets the need how are we changed you and i are changed by christ's mercy and grace we can see it throughout all of the gospels and as you and i meditate on our god is merciful and gracious what does that look like in our lives we are to reflect the glory of god now we can't reflect the i am because we're not self-existent we are very dependent but the rest of this description God being merciful and gracious. Can and should we be merciful and gracious to those around us? Oh, yes. When we see God's glorious compassion, we want to reflect that to others by ministering to them. What do people need? They need food. They need shelter. They need clothing. They need freedom from addiction. They need to believe truth instead of lies about God and his word and his son and his salvation etc., in a way that they come to our merciful, gracious Savior. As we remember the Lord's death on a regular basis, we are to be changed by that remembering. Why? Because church isn't about us. It's not about seeing, oh, these people are really good at playing instruments, If you're up here, on this side especially, yeah, there was a few notes that we missed. Actually, quite a few. (laughs) Don't exalt us. It's not about us. It's all about him. You come here looking for Jesus' glory, you'll see it. You open your Bible every day and you look for his glory, you'll see it. You talk to him in prayer, thanking him for what you have seen, and you will be changed. You will never be the same. Our God is merciful and gracious. And as we spend time in his presence, beholding his glory, our lives will reflect, as Moses' face reflected the glory, our lives will reflect that our God is merciful and gracious, and the reason we are merciful and gracious is because He has been merciful and gracious to us. That's the only reason. Who is sufficient for these things? We're not. It's him. And as we spend time in his presence, our heart can either be hardened by God's mercy and grace, bitter, angry, or our heart can be softened and say, God, make me like that. You can't spend time in his presence, beholding his glory, and stay the same. You can't take communion every four weeks and walk away saying, it is okay if I'm not merciful and gracious. I'm going to give people what I want to give them, what they deserve. Are you serious? You who have tasted God's mercy and grace and are tasting it on a, and seeing it on a regular basis can't you give that to people that don't know him yet can't you give that to your fellow christian that you live with that you worship with and they need encouragement they need something that you can give and you give them god's mercy and grace and you point their face to him and say I'm, I'm, it's not me it, it is christ mercy and grace that i'm giving you i've been given it I'm just giving it um, to you. That's why we minister. This is how we minister very boldly. So we'll hopefully get more than two done next week. But let's remember our Savior as he goes to the cross. You will see, and you can continue the study on your own if you'd like. Go back to Exodus 34 and say, how have I seen God's forgiveness? And he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. You can do some of that study this week. It will change you. It's supposed to change you. And as you read your Bible every day, look for his mercy and grace. It's there. Let's pray. We'll thank the Lord uh, for uh, the uh, broken body. We'll take it. Then we'll thank the Lord for his blood. We'll take it. We won't do it all together as we did last time. So I'll give you, uh, if our pianists could come, I'll give you a stanza to reflect, to meditate on what you've just heard from God's Word. Any confession that you need to do, any thankfulness that needs to, your heart has been softened and you just want to talk to God, I'll let uh, Katie play one stanza of a song, and then we'll open, uh, you could, let's just open the bread now, it's noisy, it's distracting, let's just open it.